Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Well, tonight we're going to learn how to witness to someone else in an effective manner, to be a personal evangelist, a lifestyle of evangelism. It doesn't mean that you'll, you know, I'm not going to teach you how to stand up and lead a a million people to the Lord, but it'll work that way as well. But more than anything else, I'm going to share with you a simple method. And God is a God of methods. You know, Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, uh, they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, well, then when you pray, say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He was giving them a method, a a step-by-step order of what they should include in their prayer and how they should put God first in their prayer and how they should include others and pray for provision and forgiveness and you know uh, all the things that God gave them to, uh, you know uh, that, that God intended for them to pray we can calculate what time the sun is going to come up tomorrow we can calculate the rotation uh, and, and movements of the stars uh, we can calculate the sun going around the earth. <laughs> Old school. I'm just joking with you for some of you. I'm just wondering if you're awake, okay? But we can calculate what time the sun comes up. Actually, what time the earth rotates, but, you know, never mind. Some of you are, uh, are not sure exactly where I'm going with it. I just want you to know that we can calculate so much because God is a God of order. He's a God of predictability. And whenever he told the children of Israel how he wanted them to approach him in worship and things that he wanted them to say when they brought an offering to him, say this, he said, you know, I've set this aside for you. I have not kept anything back that belongs to you. Nothing is in my house that is yours. Receive this. You know, it's holy before you hear God. I mean, he told the priest what to say whenever people were, you know, uh, departing after, uh, after congregating. I mean, there are so many things of order. He gave them feasts to follow, told them how much flour to put in every offering that they made to him and how much oil to put in every, and then how to make the incense. And I mean, he's a God of order and a God of established expectation. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their lands. Conditional uh, steps to take, so that so that there is a method to the madness that we live in. Now, this God of order has clearly done everything he needs to do. And he's gotten people ready, hearts ready. It's his job to work with people. But he's made it our job to bring about the harvest. We have a privilege. One of the greatest privileges we have is leading someone to Christ. But yet, in Christendom today, imagining that there's a billion Christians on planet Earth, And that's a conservative number. I would estimate that 1% of those 
are less than 1% of the Christians in the world have ever led someone else to Jesus. Most people get saved from preaching, someone preaching, not a personal witness. Most people get born again by, by you know, a radio, television, by online, by print media, by reading the Bible, by, you know, something on that line, as opposed to the church going out and being a witness. Most likely, I'm, I'm, no condemnation here, but most likely uh, you did not lead someone to the Lord yet this week, personally that did not know Jesus. Most likely you, you, know, uh, you, you don't lead someone to the Lord every day. Most likely you don't witness every day. Most likely you, you, know, you, 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 you live a Christian lifestyle, but most likely, perhaps, you'll go to heaven having been a Christian for 40, 50 years and never be personally responsible for leading one person in a one-on-one personal evangelism for them accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now that is a reality, but that's not God's best. So tonight, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how to lead someone to the Lord. I'm going to give you a tool and a method, you know, uh, and, and hopefully you will accept the reality that in Acts chapter 1, that uh, God has given us a responsibility to be a witness. He said, you know, and you shall receive power, ability. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Everywhere you go, from your local community to the, all the world, you will be a witness to me. That's what he said. It's your responsibility. That's what God wants from us. God wants us not just to, to, to have other people saying, oh my goodness, what a, what, 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 a, what a nice person you are. What a kind person you are. You know, you're an example. God doesn't want people just knowing about God through us, but he wants them to have a personal relationship with Jesus because of us. We have a responsibility. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll go so far as to say what I've been telling you for 30 plus years now, that the only marching orders that God ever gave the church was to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's the only marching orders the church has. This is the only thing that we are called to do. You know, we come together and we worship God and we, we, we learn the word. And, and if we're not watchful, we will approach church as a consumer. You know, as a spectator, we will approach Christianity as a spectator. If we're not watchful, we will certainly, you know, uh, uh, end up defaulting to not challenging other people to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the reason why that happens uh, are many, but they're, 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 you know, I've boiled them down to a few. You see, I've seen this now for 40 years as pastoring for the last 40 years, that when a church ceases to become evangelistic, it becomes cannibalistic. We've seen it in denomination after denomination and local congregation after local congregation. When a church ceases or when an individual ceases to become evangelistic, they become cannibalistic. They began to, to fight and they began to divide and they began to, to, to consume one another. They began to uh, come to church and sit in the pew and as, as though it were a buffet. 
And they can begin then to complain that, that the music wasn't what it should be this week or the, or, or, or the carpet wasn't be, you know, I, I don't like the way that sounds or this sounds or, you know, the preacher, that was a good message or wasn't a good message or, you know, somebody didn't say hello to me or did you see what so-and-so was wearing? They began to look around for other reasons why they're in church and they begin to become consumers and, and they choose church like they choose a restaurant. Does it smell good, you know? Was the food good? Instead of, uh, you know, putting the burden of the world on their shoulders. The fact of the matter is, is that 161,600 people on average will die today. Today. Okay? And, you know, about 80 to 90,000 people will go out. Almost 100,000 people will leave planet Earth today without Christ. Boy, if that doesn't motivate us, how many people do we pass on a daily basis that are on their way to hell and they're no different when we leave them than they were when we saw them? Let me give you some reasons why people don't witness. Number one, because they don't have confidence. That's probably one of the biggest reasons you don't witness is because you don't know how to. <laughs> you don't, you're not confident in how to witness. It's important that we are confident. It's important that we actually know what to say. You see, confident com confidence comes from knowing what to do. You don't mind taking a test when you know the answers. You know, especially if I were to give you the answer before I gave you the test. Okay, the answer is, is 1,000. Okay, how much is 10 times 100? You could ask a... a First grader, you can ask someone in kindergarten. You can ask someone who hasn't been going to school yet. They can repeat that. Why? Because you give them the answer. You know, confidence comes from knowing what to do. And many times we are robbed from what we could do for Jesus because we lack the confidence. We don't know how to witness. Success comes because we are working a plan that we believe in. We know that it's going to succeed and we're confident because we understand what we're doing. When I take my computer to have it worked on, I hope I take it to somebody who knows what they're doing. There's a lot of people in the world. I could take my computer to my neighbor. I could take my computer, you know, across the street to the, to the, to the you know, uh, to the person who's mowing a yard. But there'd be no confidence. I wouldn't have confidence. They wouldn't have confidence. Why? Because most likely they don't know what they're doing. I know I don't know what I'm doing. My grandson asked me to help him rebuild his computer this week. I went in and sat down at the, at, at the kitchen table. We took his computer and we took it completely all apart. He was putting in a new motherboard and putting in new memory. And he was doing, you know, numbers of other things. And we're sitting there and I got the screwdriver. And, and you know, uh, um, uh, he might have imagined I had some confidence. He said, Granddaddy, would you help me rebuild my computer? I need some help. I said, sure, I will. <laughs> ben, let me tell you, I had no idea what we were doing. Does it work? I had confidence in you. <laughs> I knew he knew what he was doing. He just needed a little moral support. We got that thing completely all taken apart, and I was scratching my head, and I said, oh, my goodness, I hope he knows how this goes back together. In fact, before he took it apart, I said, why don't you take a picture of it? <laughs> so he took a picture of it. I'm glad he did. And we went to YouTube at one point, because he had a question. I said, hmm, wow, I'll tell you what. 
Mm. He said, well, maybe they have it on YouTube. I looked on YouTube. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, that sounds, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Why? Because I had confidence in what that person, I mean, that, the person that was saying, when you run into somebody that has confidence, you're going to listen to them a little different. And when you become a confident soul winner, when you become a confident witness in Christ, when you know what to do, you will be successful because you will have confidence in knowing what to do. A second reason why people don't witness to other people, not only because they don't have confidence, but number two, because they lack compassion. There's no compassion. You know, sometimes people fail to make contact with the compassion that we should have for lost people. Can you imagine someone spending an eternity in hell that I went to school with every day, that I worked with on a job for 20, 25, 30 years? Can you imagine someone going to hell that we went to church with for 20 years? That they walked with us, they learned the songs, and they, and, and they, and they learned the talk, they learned the words, but they never, they never were born again. Why? Perhaps because... We did not have the compassion that motivated us to love them enough to ask them, are you born again? Are you sure that you're saved? It's very important to realize that Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 14, the apostle Paul said, people won't know if you don't tell them. We can't assume everyone knows. We can't assume everyone wants to be born again because Jesus said they do. He said the fields are ripe unto harvest. He said don't imagine that it's three months or six months more before it's harvest. Look around you, he said. And he was talking about souls. He said, I, 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 I see they are ready to be harvested. Many people imagine that they are responsible to save people. They do have compassion, but in reality, you are not responsible to save anyone, but you are responsible to tell them. It is our responsibility to tell them how to be saved. That is our responsibility. We can't save them and we can't make someone get saved. We can't argue with them and, and, and you know, fuss at them. Confrontational evangelism is it's something that most likely you are not. You know, 98% of the people of the world, 97% are not called to confrontational evangelism. That means the point where we argue back and forth and try to make somebody see our point and they get born. You know, we're, we're, that's confrontational evangelism. You know, maybe 3% of the people in the world are outfitted to have confrontational evangelism. But confrontational evangelism, even those 3%, they don't get anybody saved. They just leave arguing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and, and Jesus told us not to be debaters and not to be arguing. You know, Jesus didn't argue with a young rich ruler. Whenever he said, come and follow me, and the young rich ruler said, no, Jesus said, well, yeah, yeah, you need to. Come on now. Listen, let me tell you now, you know, you know it, there, there was no confrontation. Well, if you don't come and follow me, you know you're going straight to hell. No, it, 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 it wasn't. You know, Jesus left that young rich ruler with a positive experience, with a good experience from having encountered Christ and an opportunity to be born again. Most likely that young rich ruler was born again later. Many scholars believe that he was. Many scholars believe they can't identify him. I don't. 
But I know that Jesus loved him and had compassion on him, and he told him the truth. A third reason why many people don't witness, you know, no confidence, no compassion, no commission. Many times, believers, born-again believers, sitting in churches all across America, don't feel like it's their responsibility. They feel like it's the preacher's responsibility. It's an evangelist's responsibility. And they feel as though that they have no commission, that, 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 that it's not my job, that I have not, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not gifted, I'm not, I'm not set apart, I'm not set aside, it's just not my responsibility. I'm not responsible to get other people born again. And, 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 and it's not a lack of compassion. I love them, and, 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 but, but, but I just don't feel like that's what I'm called to do. Whenever the Bible really t- says that every one of us is supposed to do the work of an evangelist. Every one of us is supposed to be a witness. Every one of us should be telling others, going into all the world, going into our world, and making disciples of all nations and teaching them to observe all the things that we have learned. Many people, however, feel as though that they have no commission in life. Number four, well, you know, let me just tell you, Jesus said in John 15 and verse 16, I have chosen you and I have ordained you to bring forth much fruit. If you've been called by God, you have also been commissioned and ordained by God to bear fruit. He said, every tree that does not bear fruit is fertilized and fertilized and fertilized. Here God is fertilizing you, hoping that you can bear fruit for him. Because he has ordained you. He has commissioned you. He has called you. He has chosen you to bring forth much fruit. A fourth reason why people don't witness. Number one, they have no confidence. They don't know what to do. Number two, they, they, they don't have a compassion. They don't feel it's their response. You know, uh, number three, they don't feel it's like it's their responsibility. Or number four, there's no commitment. Even though they may, f- when someone knows what to do, and when someone has compassion on a lost person, and when someone feels like it is my responsibility, they still have to make a commitment to be a witness. You know, Sometimes you just have to go out on purpose and make a commitment. I can remember in, 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 in the year 1977, I just got overwhelmed with the desire to, 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 to do something for Jesus. And, and Brenda and I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, and I, I think I've told you before, I would get up on Saturday mornings and I spent my Saturday mornings going door to door in Albuquerque, New Mexico, knocking on doors of people that, 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 that didn't know. I mean, I mean, they didn't know. I mean, I was just out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, go to a neighborhood. I'd drive up to a neighborhood, stop, get out. And I would start walking the neighborhood, knocking on door after door. And when people come to the door, I would ask them if they were born again. I would tell them a testimony if they listened to it. I'd tell them about Jesus. And I would ask them if they would get saved I would ask them the hard question I'd give them a clear message and Saturday after Saturday after Saturday I would lead person after person after person to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to meet all kinds of people that I never knew their name I never saw them but one time I saw them in about you know 10 minutes or 15 minutes and many of them if you know that whenever they would say
say no and they'd slam the door in my face. I was nice. I didn't want to do, I, 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 I didn't want to challenge them. I just wanted to offer them a free coupon, go to heaven. You get to go to, you can go to heaven. You can go to heaven if you want to. Did you know it? And I would invariably every Saturday find person after person after person that the Lord had prepared them and they were ready. All we have to do is tell people we don't have to make them get saved. We don't have to condemn them or criticize them if they say no, but we are commissioned by God and we should make a commitment that we're going to live our life giving people a chance to be born again, telling them. We were having prayer meetings every night for a good while when we were in our older church building and we came together for prayer and we would, after prayer, we would go out and witness. Uh, this was, I don't know how many years ago. This was a lot of years ago. Uh, this was 25 years ago, I'll say. Um, yeah, probably 25 years ago. And we came together one night and we were praying and I, I had a vision as we were praying. We were praying for lost people in our community and then we would go out in pairs and we, we were teaching people how to witness, how to personally evangelize. We were going out and, and, and uh, uh, you know, taking people with us and, and, you know, uh, we, and, and then we would go out on the streets and witness to people so that people could get a little, uh, uh, a little uh, on-the-job training under their belt. Because it's intimidating if you've never done it. But once you do it and once you see it works, you, you get excited about it. And you find out it's easy. And if you know what you're doing, you can have confidence. And, and so I, I had this vision. And in this vision, I, I, I saw a guy down a trail, down a dark trail, at the end of a trail. And the trunk on his car was open. And there was a little bitty light in his trunk. And I saw myself uh, uh, telling him that Jesus knew where he was. And and, 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 and that's what I felt like Jesus told me to tell him. You know, go and tell this man, I know where he is and I want him to be saved. I want him. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing him. So when we got up and we started to go out, I was teamed up with one of our elders' wives. And her name was Ursula Parker. And those of you that may have known, uh, reached that far back in our history. And so I said, Ursula, you need to go with somebody else tonight because uh, I'm, uh, I just had a vision from God and I, God told me to go down this trail and, and, and dark trail and, and, and witness to this man who's standing at the back of his car and it's down a dark trail. And she said, what? You had a vision? I said, yeah. Oh, Ursula, you, you couldn't shake her. I mean, she was like a pit bulldog. She latched on to me and she said, no, huh? My pastor said he had a vision of something's going to happen and I'm not going to go and see just to see if he actually had a vision. No, I'm going with you. I said, no, Ursula, this is like a dark trail and I'm not kidding. No, uh -uh, I am going with you. I said, well, okay. So we got in the car and we drove as the spirit led us over to Pleasure Island and drove down a rocky road and, you know, out on the shell out near where the and we were driving down this, you know, dead-end rocky road that, uh, uh, rocks like an oil shell road that, that must have ended in the water. And I looked down to my left and down this trail had to be, you know, had to be a long way down there. It was a long way. I could see a little bitty light. And it looked like it was a, a place where people pulled off and drove through the weeds down there. You could tell somebody had. So I said, Ursula, that's it. But I don't know what's down there and I don't want to drive down there unless we get stuck out here. You know, that might as days for cell phones, I believe. And so, <laughs> and so uh, I said, Ursula, won't you stay here at the car? I'm going to walk down there. And she said, uh-uh, I ain't staying here. 
You said you had a vision. I'm going to see if my pastor had a vision. I, I mean, I, you know, you can understand that. Ursula was, 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 was that woman, and she was quite aggressive, and you wasn't going to shake her. So I said, okay. So we got out of the car, and we walked down that trail, down a long way down that trail, and we got down the end of that trail and uh, walked up on a guy. His trunk was open in his car. His car was backed up to the water, and he was fishing. And there was a little light on in his trunk. Walked up to him, and you could kind of hear us in the brush, I guess. And he turned, and he was a good-sized fellow. He said, hey, what do you want? He said, you know you get hurt walking up on somebody. I said, yeah. I said, well, you know, I was praying at my church. And I had a vision of you, and the Spirit of God spoke to me and told me to come down here and tell you that God knows where you are. And he wants you to be saved. Well, he just dropped his head and he looked like he could have just, he looked like he was going to melt. Boy, and opened the other side of the door on the back of the car and his wife got out and came around the car. And she said, what are y'all doing down here? What are you doing here? We're down here trying to get away from these Christians. Every week they come knocking on our door trying to tell us that Jesus wants to save us and we're tired of it. We came down here because it was the one place we figured there wouldn't be any Christians. Nobody be down here bothering us about getting saved. <laughs> I said, well, God knows where you are <laughs> and he wants you to be saved. He wants you. She said, you better leave. That guy, he had his hand in his trunk. I figured it was on the gun. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you better leave. I said, sure. No problem. We'll leave. And uh, we walked back. Ursula was over there praying in tongues, by the way, the whole time, really loud. So that may have freaked the other woman out a little bit because she sounded just, you know, especially when it looked, at, you know, looked like he, he might have gone pull something out of that trunk. And uh, we went off praising the Lord. Because we had fulfilled our responsibility because we had told him. You see, that's what we're responsible for. You're not responsible to save anybody. Take that off your shoulders. But you are responsible to tell them that Jesus loves them. He has a plan for their life and he'll save their soul. If they will believe upon his name, call upon his name, they will be saved. Tonight, I'm going to hopefully teach you a method that you will remember forever. It's something that we started doing here in our church in about the end of 1996 or 97. And we developed it into a program and then we began to export it. We took uh, this method of evangelism literally around the world to 40 different states. We took it. Pastor Kendall, I remember, sent Pastor Kendall. We, we, we hired a whole staff to do this. And we sent Pastor Kendall to Spain to do this. We've done it in Australia. We've done it in all over the world. We have taught this method. And we have seen so many people get born again. We taught this, uh, this, this particular uh, uh, method. Uh, and it, its, its success is due to its structure. Because it creates a confidence in witnessing so that you always know what to say. You always know the next thing. You have a plan. You also know how to close the deal. 
Could you imagine walking onto a car lot, wanting to buy a car, and looking at all the cars, but never, never closing the deal? Can you imagine being a car salesman so that you tell people about cars all day long, but you never close a deal? You never close a deal? Uh, the success of this method is due to its structure and due to its close and due to the fact that it is so memorable. You have one simple answer for every question that someone has. We taught this in a church in Austin. And in the first week, that church saw 25 people saved and they hadn't seen people saved in that church in forever. They invited us to come and teach it. 25 people got saved the first week. We taught it in a church in Florida. And the night of the training, a woman went home, 70-year-old woman went home and led her husband to the Lord. And he, he said to her after he accepted Jesus and prayed for Jesus to come into his heart and his life, he said, is that what you've been trying to tell me all these years why didn't you make it that plain before of course I want to be saved and he prayed and asked Jesus to come into his heart and his life at 70 year old 70 years old and she had uh, had, had had been asking him and bothering him and you know, badgering him according to him we uh, we we handed just a simple sheet that details this we handed a simple sheet to a 35 year old woman and and just encouraged her just to read it off the sheet and in that month in one month she led 12 people to the Lord and had never led anybody to the Lord before. We taught it in a large church. I went to Dallas and taught it in a large church. And the day after training, uh, this 25-year-old woman came back and told me that she had led five people to Jesus that next day. Uh, a Michigan businessman, uh, the first week after training, he prayed with five people in his office that he had wanted to witness to for years and had never been able to, 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 to have the confidence or he, he didn't know what to say. And that next week he led five people to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We taught it in a small church here in southeast Texas. And, uh, um, and uh, we, we were able uh, to see so many people inspired. A lady in her 50s the first week, she was inspired. She, she just decided that she was going to try this every day. In fact, she, she tried it eight times the first week twice the first day and then uh, uh, once each day thereafter and that week at the end of that first week she had led six people had said yes and prayed bowed their head and prayed to ask Jesus Christ to come to their heart and their life and be their be their Lord and Savior and they had never done that before we're talking about people who had been attending church people who had you know knew about God people who who you know from all practical purposes were good people and loved God but had identified themselves as never having asked Jesus personally to forgive them of their sins and save their soul and that's what makes a difference and uh, it, 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 it is important that we realize that, that, that people need an opportunity you know, there were uh, three ladies and one man in Trinity Mills Mall that led 45 people to the Lord in one hour. Listen, God has done the hard work. He's made it simple. It's important that we don't make it hard to be saved, but it is conditional. You don't get saved through osmosis and you don't get saved sitting in a, in, in, in a church. John Osteen used to say sitting in church won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage will make you a car. You know, uh, you, 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 can, you cannot 
You, you can live your life knowing about God, but never have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A personal relationship will change your life. It's more than fire insurance and it's more than the words you utter. It's something that happens in here because you are acknowledging something that God is doing in your life. Because we are, we, we are looking for the people that God is working with. And we would be surprised that God is working with so many people. He is working in their heart and their life. And what they need is a chance. What they need is to know what to do and to say yes and to be challenged. They are wanting to, of a personal relationship. They're needing. They're, they're absent of that. They're empty. They need Jesus. And many times they, they have felt like they've gone through the motions. But leading people to Christ, you can see a change in their life, a conversion experience. There's a 14-year-old boy that in Beaumont we shared this method with, and he led the mayor of Beaumont to the Lord that year. was bold enough to walk up to him and just go through it, and the, and the mayor bowed his head and asked Jesus in a serious way. I talked to the mayor later. He sincerely asked Jesus to come into his heart to be his Lord and his Savior. One 15-year-old student uh, led over a hundred people to Jesus in their school in one year. Kept their names, started praying for them. Uh, uh, amazing. We sent a group of, of, of uh, youth off to Slitterbon one year, and we just had them take some lipstick and write, uh, write on their back, are you 100% sure? And they led 37 people to the Lord at Slitterbon that day. That people would ask them the question and it would open up an opportunity because they had been taught, they were trained, they were confident in knowing what to do. You know, uh, I was in Cancun a dozen years ago and I was sitting at a table in a restaurant, that big lobster restaurant where you go and pick your lobster. Have you ever been there? I'm you know, swimming around there and they come and they cook it up for you. And it's a wonderful place. And I was sitting there with some people who uh, I was hoping would help to fund a project for us. And uh, um, uh, somebody popped off and said, uh, uh, you lead a lot of people to the Lord, don't you? I said, well, um, you know, yeah, basically. They said, well, would, would, would you teach us how to lead somebody to the Lord? I said, well, it's easy. Well, there was a, a, the eye doctor from Hot Springs, Arkansas. He and his wife were there and he said it's not easy to lead someone to the Lord I said yes it is I said it's very easy to lead someone to the Lord I said people are hungry for Jesus he said no no it's hard he said you know I said well have you ever led someone to the Lord no I haven't it's just too hard I said well I beg to differ it's easy he said well if it's so easy I want to see you lead someone to the Lord I said okay the next person comes to this table I'll lead them to the Lord unless they already know the Lord I'll at least give him a chance. He said, okay, deal. About that time, a waiter came up to the table. Well, it took me just about, oh, probably a minute and a half. And the waiter bowed his head and prayed a sincere prayer. You could tell he was sincere. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that's just trying to placate you. And he wasn't wanting a tip. He was serious, and he asked Jesus to come into his heart and his life. And when the waiter walked off, I said, see, that's easy. He said, yeah, but there was no life change in his life. You know, he just said the words. There's no, that, 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 that didn't really happen. That's what this uh, doctor said to me. And I said, well, I believe it did. He said, no. 
About that time, that waiter kicked. He'd gone into the kitchen. He kicked, and we were sitting close to the kitchen. Glad we were. He kicked the door open coming out of the kitchen. And he came out, and he said to our table, My God! My life has just changed. And he began to weep. And he began to say, I feel different. Something happened in my life. Something has happened. I'm changed in here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and after praying with him again, he left and went back into the, the, to, to, to the kitchen. And, 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 and the whole table said, teach us how to do that. I said, okay. Let's take an extra 10 minutes here. Yeah, the, the, praise God. It happened. That, that waiter, I'm going to see him in heaven. But it took me about 10 minutes to give them the basics right there in the restaurant. Well, the next morning before we were supposed to meet down at the boat, we were going diving the next morning. And that doctor and his wife showed up about 15 minutes late. We were all a little bit upset because we were ready to get out there in the water and dive. But uh, when he got there, his wife said, what did you do to him? He's already led our waiter this morning and the bellboy and the taxi driver to Jesus. They've all prayed. That, and, and while we were down diving, we came back up. He, he, he came back. He made his wife come back up the surface early because he wanted to leave the dive master. And he led the dive master to Jesus Christ and prayed. And he said, man, this is the best thing that I have ever seen. And he went back to Hot Springs, Arkansas, leading people to Jesus, realizing that people are hungry. People want the Lord. Where were you? when you met Jesus who gave you the chance what happened you know most of the time people are saved in church or they're saved because you know somebody preaches a message and tells you in mass how to get saved and you decide to walk an altar or you decide to do it on your own you know your personal I did it out under an old pear tree you know the preacher preached but I didn't know how to get saved he never told me how to get saved he said come down forward I didn't know how it happened when you come down forward instead of coming down forward I ran out the back door when I ran out the back door I ran all the way home down a dirt road and I saw my mom out under a pear tree and on that Sunday I ran up and I ran out there by the well under that pear tree I was 12 years old it was 1967 and I said to my mama mama what happens when you go down front in a church and she said you've been wanting to go down front in the church I said yeah mama I wanted to go down there this morning but I don't know what happens down there and right there my mama told me about Jesus Christ in a personal way and asked me if I would like to pray to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I said yes and right there under a prayer tree my mama prayed with me she showed me how to pray and told me what to say and I got born again and I have never been the same in 12 years old somebody told me what to do you know if I'd have walked down front in the church I don't know if he would have explained it I don't know if I would have caught it I don't know if it would have made a difference but I know this that being told what I needed to do made a difference in my life. And my mama was confident. She knew what she was telling me about Jesus was true. I gave her the chance. God had prepared my heart. And whenever she said, do you want to pray and receive Jesus right now? I said, yes. I have heard people say yes hundreds, if not thousands, thousands. If not, you know, uh, people say yes. Because God's working on their heart. Who wouldn't say yes? Who wouldn't? You know, in the first year that we did this at the county fair here in Southeast Texas, 
In those 11 days, we saw 1,298 people identify themselves by saying that they had prayed a prayer to ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior for the very first time. We got a lot of rededications, but 1,298 that first year, we continued year after year after year after year after year. In the following years, we, 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 have, we have taught this from our church in fairs and festivals and Mardi Gras and in California and all over Texas, Connecticut, Mexico, from Australia to Spain and from Belgium to mainland China. We have taught this in 40 states and on every continent. We have won tens of thousands of people to the Lord. We developed that right here, wrote that right here. We, you know, we have seen God bless us to reach out into a world that's lost and hurting. We trademarked it right here. And we have given it away to teen mania. We have given it away. We've given it away all over the world. Our goals are very simple. This model of personal evangelism, our goal is, number one, to keep it very simple and to keep it non-threatening. When you witness to someone, you need to keep it simple and you need to keep it non-threatening. A second goal is to move people from wherever they are to a place of prayer. That's our goal. To move people from wherever they are to a place of connecting them with God, to a place of prayer. Just like on Sunday, I meet people wherever they are when they come in these doors. Wherever they are in life, it's my goal to meet them there. To create some common ground and to take them to a place of prayer. At the end of our service, that's my hope, that they will pray. You see... You have not arrived until you pray. Just witnessing to someone is not the same as leading them to Christ. Just telling them about God is not the same as bringing them to a place of prayer. Our goal is to make sure, you know, please, when you witness, be kind. To make sure that people see us as kind, not condemning, not judgmental, not critical, not filled with the bad news, but filled with the good news. Be kind. I was in Seoul, Korea just about three years ago, uh, maybe four years ago now. Time flies. I was in Seoul, Korea, walking down the street with you, Ben. We were uh, down in the Itaewon area. You may not remember this, but it's drilled in my head as we were walking down the street, me, you, your brother, uh, a few of us. There was a man with a bullhorn who came out. We were passing by a corner, and he screamed, You're going to hell! in the bullhorn. You need to get saved! He was screaming it at us in our group. You were there, Tina. Walking down the streets of Seoul, Korea, and he's screaming at me. I'm a pastor of a church. I know Jesus. I'm not going to hell. You know what? That made me, made me want to hit that man. 
I needed to be more saved. Screaming at me and all my family. We're all, we're all in love with Jesus. We're not going to hell. How dare you be judgmental and condemning? You don't know the estate of my soul. You don't know what I've done to follow Christ. Who in the world do you think you are judging me? And that's how every one of us feel. That's how lost people feel. Who are you to judge me? If you're going to witness to someone, you don't need a bullhorn telling everybody how bad they are and why they're going to hell. You don't need to point their sins out. You don't need to be critical and condemning. You need to be kind. Don't bruise the fruit. If we are supposed to pick fruit that's ripe, you don't want to squeeze it. You don't want to slap it off the vine. Who would go out to a grape vineyard wanting to, 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 to harvest the ripe grapes and take a, a hammer and knock them off the tree, knock them off the vine? Pow, 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 pow. Do you know how many times you have to hit a green grape to get it off if it's not ripe? Pow, 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 pow. You know, you'll just kill it. You're not going to make it any better. Be kind. Be nice. What are we doing? When we're witnessing, we are awakening the command of God in people's lives. In 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, and I'll be closing soon, by the way. I'm setting you up so that this coming Wednesday evening, I can give you the simple steps of how you can lead someone, to how you can challenge them to be born again. Now listen, if you have a method that works for you, if you're leading people to the Lord every week, hey, I encourage you, stick with it. Don't change it. Because there are probably, you know, a hundred great methods out here. But I'm banking on you not having a method. I imagine you don't. I'm imagining that if you're like most people, you are not confident that you can close the deal and get somebody to bow their head and pray and accept Jesus in a real, meaningful, sincere moment. Okay? Now, if you don't have a method, then I will give you one that you will never forget. You can do it. It will instill confidence, and you will know exactly what to do. Acts 17 verse 30 says that God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. What we are doing when we give someone a clear opportunity to get born again is we are awakening a command of God in their life. In 1 Kings 17, this little widow who Elijah challenged to make me a cake first, God had already commanded her to do that. She was unaware of it. And the principle we gain from that is not that, you know, God necessarily is going to keep your barrel full. But the principle of that is the awakening of a command that God has given us in our life. When we hear the word of God, what it does is it wakes up something that God has said to us. The word of God has power. And when we share the word of God with someone who's lost it can wake up that command in their life. And they can only get saved if they come through Jesus. And they can only come to Jesus if God draws them. We don't have the power to draw them to Christ. 
We don't have the power to save their souls. But we do have the responsibility to offer people an opportunity. And if God has prepared their heart, they can accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and they will be born again. We can't manufacture that. We're, we're not trying to, you know, uh, 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 you know in, in any way fabricate that. But neither are we trying to shirk ourselves of the responsibility to be a light and a witness. We need to leave people with a good experience of having been witnessed to. So this coming week, I want to share with you the mechanics. I wrote this outline I put it together in 1996-97 and we had a lot of help, a whole lot of help from a pastor who pastors Pathway Church, Cassie Francis. We put this together. It was a very collaborative effort, but when I finally decided exactly how we wanted it done, we put it together, we finalized it. And then I hired a staff, and we began to export it all across America and around the world. And people are still, I still use it, and I lead people to the Lord. It's trademarked here at GTCOTR, and it is a powerful, powerful tool. We cannot, I cannot guarantee you that everyone that prays meant it. But I can tell you that everyone that didn't pray and asked Jesus to become the Lord and Savior of their life, I can guarantee you that everybody that doesn't accept Jesus is not in for a good eternity. So with those odds, let me encourage you to attend next week and let me teach you a very simple and memorable, non-threatening method to approach and lead someone to Christ. It works.